Meanwhile, I'm looking for a great warrior. Wars <laughs> not make one great. <laughs> wow, this place is great. Yeah. If you could just go ahead and make sure you do that from now on, that would be great. Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice. Well, welcome back to the Hall of Greatness, where uh, we're we're having fun. We had we had such a great time talking about greatness in the last episode. We wanted to keep going with that. I am Andy Wilson. I'm JB Flinders, and uh, we're here to talk your ear off about greatness. <laughs> it could be worse. You'll hear that again. <laughs> it could be worse. Uh, so the the last episode we we talked about you know why we're doing this podcast, and we we want to build a metaphorical hall of greatness where we put all great things in it and we we enjoy ourselves. So what is greatness and how do we define that? And that's such an interesting question in and of itself. I felt like we had to devote a, an entire episode to to unpack that because there's so much there. So JB, do you have like a general idea like what could could you define greatness? Yeah, I, I mean, we, we've talked a lot about it, and, and Andy and I have emailed back and forth and, and texted back and forth about a lot of things, and the, right. the difficulty with greatness for me, definition-wise, is the placement of the perception of greatness. Like, for instance, right. uh, is greatness something I see objectively, or is it something I subjectively experience? Like, oh, that was a great meal versus oh that looked great on paper you know nutritional content those kinds of things uh also the other struggle i have is is do i have a voluntary response to greatness or is it involuntary Uh, and i know you and i will talk about it later on with the the concept of like it factors where Mm -hmm. you're just supposed to have a perception of something that's great uh, which may or may not be shared by other people but i i guess many people would see greatness as an example of the highest level or the ultimate in in something whether it's an activity a sporting event a um, cuisine a musical note or sound or um, you know something you read or experience so it's whatever is the pantheon the upper level of either the objective or subjective experience i don't know does that follow kind of your yep, that's it. Thanks, thanks everybody. Been a great show. You just did it. Have a you, good you, night, you, everyone. All right. No, I, I think that's it. And you know, when when I started thinking about greatness, what I went back to thinking about Aristotle and in Nicomachean Ethics. And someone can tell me if I'm saying that wrong. It's been a while since college, but uh, his his uh, ethics. He's like, okay, uh, all of human existence is about searching for happiness and things that make us happy. Now, what what is it that makes us happy? Well, he had this idea of virtue. Virtue bring is that thing which brings happiness. And any human activity can have a virtue. Okay. And it can have a vice that there is a uh, there is a scale, if you will, and any activity can be done on a scale of virtue and vice. So uh, a, a violinist or a flautist is virtuous when their music brings happiness to people and that would be greatness. Okay. Whereas someone who is really, really sucky at <laughs> that instrument and you don't want to listen to them, that would be its vice. But literally any activity could, could have virtue and vice uh, related to it. So... You could have a virtuous sandwich. Oh. Yeah, sandwich making can be a virtuous activity. Someone's grandma's meatloaf recipe, that can be virtuous. That can be great. So I, I want us to talk about greatness in, in all things. I mean, I think it's going to come back to a lot of things that we can talk about some objective measures of greatness. Uh, you know, music's going to come up. Movies are going to come up. TV's going to come up. Sports are going to come up a lot of things in culture, but I think that there's also greatness to be had in almost anything. There's greatness in design, in building something, 
in uh, in a car. You know, you you brought some of this up in the last episode, of like, uh, but that really doesn't get down to the question of you know, is it is it objective? Is it subjective? Where what is that? Where does that leave us? Right. And and let me let me ask because I have an interesting perception about that the the Aristotle component. So mm-hmm. in his in his mind. Uh, from my understanding, greatness is the the middle way. the 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 truthful aspect of what you do is great. Mm-hmm. You have the one end where vice is understatement. You have the one mm-hmm. end where vice is the boastfulness or the the overstatement. Right. What is so interesting to me is I would hardly ever imagine a situation where we in our culture would say, "Hey, that's you know Leonard. Leonard gets up same time every day." takes care of his kids, gets his kids to school, works his nine to five job, works at the best he can, does great, comes home, spends time with his kids, takes care of, you know, his family obligations, is active in his community, spends a lot of time at his church or social gatherings, goes to bed, Mm -hmm. wakes up, um, you know, on weekends, he does other civically minded things, so on and so forth. Well, in, in Aristotle's mind, to me, that seems like where he's putting a form of greatness, like the practice of you being great at all times leads to the ultimate in greatness. Mm -hmm. But I don't think anybody would ever say that was great. Like that person exhibits greatness. What I consider, right. Mm -hmm. The person who lives a completely virtuous, ethical, not too flashy, but not too, you know, humble of a life, uh, is is what people strive for but yet you know and i i know you will we'll talk about this later but you look at something like infinity war which makes all this money which is the exhibition of a great film mm-hmm. or something like the shape of water which gets a ton of accolades for being a great film a film mm-hmm. i might add i did not find that interesting right oh boo no i'm just kidding yeah i like okay she she fell for the fish guy a little too quickly for me is all i'm thinking with with the storyline but i digress how interesting is it that even the the discussion of greatness itself lends itself to not being too much vice on one side or the other because i think that's very opposite of what the discussion of greatness is in our society where greatness is the loudest or flashiest thing that we that we can you know put our put our emphasis behind so we think of as greatness as kanye versus leonard in your uh you know in your example but i think that's kind of my point is that there is a virtue in what we think of as the mundane okay he's a great dad he's a you know he's a great provider he's he's great uh you know a great volunteer at you know the animal shelter that he goes to or in his church or uh, a scout leader or something like that there's greatness all around us and and it doesn't have to be flashy and some of what we think of as greatness is just you know people being assholes mm. so i don't think that we should confuse those two things and and i i bring up kanye because kanye's been in the news a lot there are things about kanye west that are great mm-hmm. his his jackass attitude all the time is not necessarily all of them but there but there are things uh where i you know they're like name name the best uh hip hop albums of the last 20 years there's you know kanye's probably going to be on there yeah and i think that's i think that's okay to talk about but my my broader point is that there's greatness in in the mundane even though we, we might not think so. Well, that's that's an interesting point. I, I mean, we, we referenced this a little bit in the previous episode, but if I were to ask you, what are your greatest attributes? What are things that make you great? Would you immediately say the things you're best at, or would you say the things that maybe you're the most proud of that you're not necessarily the best at? Hmm, that's a good question. I don't know. Um, like, if, I, if I said, Andy, what is great about you? What's the first thing you would think? Uh, I, uh, I'm i a good kisser. No, uh, I don't know. <laughs> we're going to need some verification of that. I, 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 have, refer- I have three references who will all doubt <laughs> But That could be three. its own podcast, I think, on its own. <laughs> but no, really, like, what is, what's the first thing? Because I know a lot of people would say... My children, yeah, are a great thing about me, right? Yeah, I would, I would go there. I think my kids are awesome. Um, 
I take a lot of pride in my work, but I think that's just more about like where I am right now, rather than if I'm really having an objective look on my life. I think it's just that like where we are in 2018, uh, my work is very much all consuming. I think I know a lot about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, I, you know, if this were a Dungeons and Dragons game, I've been putting all of my skill points into Marvel for the last 10 years. Right. And, uh, and that's something I know a lot about. So, you know, I've been, I've been blogging over at graphic policy and I've written like three or four different articles about Avengers just because like, that's what's in my brain right now. Yeah. Um, like I talked to my mom about infinity war for like 45 minutes yeah. and like all of the movies she needs to see and in what order and why she should see them. So I, I, I don't know. Um, let me, I, let me preface with two points. One, I think the, the value that you have in your cultural knowledge is that you apply it to something more on a grander scale. Like when you and I talk about yeah. Avengers, we don't talk about the, how it was made. We talk about um, how black Panther is the moral compass or how um, character wise, certain characters make decisions um, based on poor motivations and how that's a reflection of society, those kinds of things. So I, I think that one of the values you have in uh, the discussion of, of movies like that is your ability to, and, and I wish more people would do that is to take the metaphors uh, in, in art and apply that to who they see themselves or how they see their society. Cause I think that's what art is designed to do is to discuss with us what is strong and what is weak about us as a culture. The, the second point, and this is probably where I want to weigh in about the work thing, right? Because I think it's, it's pretty common for people uh, to say, you know, one of the great things about me is my work and what I do for a work. Mm -hmm. When I was studying a lot of Buddhism, uh, I remember I had a really difficult time setting goals in a Buddhist mindset because in a Buddhist mindset, you're designed to not have expectations, not have attachments. Uh, and how I would position my understanding of Buddhism makes it very difficult for me to say, set a long-term goal because you mm -hmm. never know if that goal would change. Like if you said, well, I wanted to be, uh, I wanted to buy a different house in five years, or I wanted to have a wife in three years, or I wanted to have, uh, um, you know, or a life partner in three years, or I wanted to take up snowboarding in two years. The difficulty might be that if you attach and put expectations on that, there is no guarantee that life wouldn't pull you in a different direction, no matter how you set goals. Right. So right. what I learned is that perhaps it is the daily goal that you set, which leads you to the overarching goal where you will never be disappointed in your goal setting. So for instance, I would say, Andy, what then are you good at at work? Is it your ability to manage day to day operational facets? Is it your ability to provide 100% effort is it your ability to um, so that was like the right effort right speech is it to always be honest and virtuous at your work um, so one of those things that we talk about with greatness that I would be interested to see if more people would be able to do is to funnel their greatness down to those interpersonal levels that they have all the time so in that, that's interesting yeah, because, so you know, I, I definitely think of like greatness as like it, it it's what I do. Yeah. It's a it's a thing that I am trying to accomplish. Like we want to get Scott Pruitt fired right. because he sucks as, at his job as EPA administrator and he's totally corrupt. So I want to work as hard as I can to get Scott Pruitt out of there. And like, but is that is that greatness? Is it great that we are, you know, doing all this like cool stuff and, uh, you know, being really hard hitting in our in our media and on social media and and so on? Or is greatness the relationships that I'm creating with people in being, you know, just talking to people about it so and trying to be honest and, and trying to, uh, you know, fight the mendacity of our culture with with honesty and with fact. So I would posit it like this. And and this comes from a person who's been recently laid off, which is sort of a crisis of, of many proportions to figure out who mm -hmm. you are as a person. If you did not have your job tomorrow, what would you still hang your hat on that you did at work that you could do anywhere else? Uh, be an asshole on social media. There, no. you, you, are, <laughs> you are quite good at that. You're also good at deflecting. 
Yes, I am. Uh, thank you. Uh, but no, but I, yeah. I, I think, yeah, go, I, I'd probably go back to my family and I'd probably go back to hopefully projects like this to other, you know, uh, social media podcasts uh, and, and so on. And also that those skills that I have for work right. are transferable in a lot of places. Right. You know, I'm a, I'm a good writer. I'm a, I'm good at taking complex ideas and turning them into pithy sound bites or just or just turning them into something that people can understand. And I think that's yeah. that's that discussion of greatness. People don't think they're great because they're not LeBron James. People don't mm-hmm. think they're great because they're not Jeff Bezos or that one person in their community that does all these things and seems to have everything well put together. Well, all of those people have problems too. I think going back to what you said about the definition, and again, that was that was a psychological, I think, tangent. But the one thing you realize is that we all have things that make us great, regardless of what the situation calls for. Right. So to your point, you will always be a great writer, whether you write for work or for fun or whatever. You'll always be a great father, whether you have a job or you don't. Right. You'll always be very personable and very understanding whether you have a job or you don't. But I think it's really interesting that we put greatness as this outcome instead of as these regular activities to the point of what Aristotle said, which is, you know, great actions could be boastful, you know, poor actions could be an understatement, but there's always that middle ground of truth where Mm -hmm. we have greatness within us. We exhibit greatness all the time. uh, And that is the truth of, of how great we are as people. And I think it references the first episode when we were talking about society we as a society are great because all of us, for the most part, really just try to help each other out. We try to get along. We, we pay taxes. Some of us vote. Um, well, some of us pay taxes. Yeah. But, you and I pay taxes. Yeah, I, I said the majority. I understand. But yeah. But I mean, yeah, a lot of people are active in their church groups, their community. A lot of people um, donate or, you know what I mean? There's a lot of greatness right. to your definition that I think goes unnoticed because we're spending so much time going, Oh, LeBron or Tom Brady or so-and-so are great. Um, I'll never be like that. And, and that bothers me as a person. Well, I understand mm-hmm. that, but, but to your point, I, I mean, again, I think there's so many good qualities of greatness that are, that are both objective, uh, that we could see and subjective, that we could feel. I don't know if that's what Aristotle was getting at, but I hope that's where we can get. I don't know either. Positively um, so, as a society. But, you know I mean? but I just, I think it's, it's, it's interesting to think about that. And, but, and the, the things are, you know, exist on a spectrum. So that, that kind of brings me to this next idea, which is that of, I, I've been trained through years and years of political science and social science to believe that the world is more or less uh, normally distributed. A normal distribution is a, a bell curve. Uh, and so if you think about it, if you took everyone in the world and lined them up by uh, height or weight uh, or blood pressure or some other factor like that, you would end up with a bunch of people who were in the middle and uh, you would be able to find an average and what's everybody's average height. Uh, and then there would be people who would be uh, more than that. There would be people who would be less than that. And uh, people who are over seven feet tall or under uh, four feet tall, that's starting to get, you know, very, very rare. And uh, the more and more that you that you go out, the, the more rare that it becomes. So uh, and and the idea is then uh, that does does talent or uh, art or anything like that uh, is it also normally distributed if someone picks up a guitar and tries to play and is performing uh, you are going to have a, a big group of people who are in the middle they're they're good and they they can they can go along and it's that guy in your college dorm room who wouldn't stop playing oasis songs and then there's uh, you know then there's your truly truly great people. And then there are the people who really kind of suck, but still keep playing anyway. As a movie critic, uh, I tend to take this view of every movie that I see, that more or less, since I see pretty much everything that gets a wide release in theaters, 
Uh, most things, I think, kind of fall in a sort of normal distributions. Most movies are mediocre. And then there are truly exceptional movies, and then there are really terrible okay. movies. And um, so when when I go to rate a movie on a scale of like zero to ten, I give very, very few movies uh, a score of zero and very few a ten. Uh, most things are going to be in the middle in between a, a, a four and a seven for me. Okay. And uh, then they're more rare are eights, nines, and tens. And, and uh, those are the ones that are really worth watching. Um, that's, that's how I kind of approach it. I don't know if that's the most correct way to do it, but it is a way to think about greatness and think about, uh, think about that. So I don't know what you think. Um, I, I, you know, one of the interesting things when you were talking about this is I thought, what's the, again, you, you know, the inherent nature of greatness versus the, the applied nature of greatness you know a, a lot mm-hmm. of very hastily produced movies uh turn out to be better than people think a lot of them turn out to be pretty terrible um and and or you know or people who talk about writing screenplays very quickly and the the movie turns out quite well so i i really rocky rocky is a great right. example sylvester stallone wrote that in like 48 something hours something along those lines but that it just, yeah. you know, it was a perfect storm. Uh, so to me, the, the question then becomes, can we work towards greatness through the standard deviations? Like if I picked up a guitar and I worked really hard at it, could I push myself from, you know, one standard deviation to two standard deviations? Or, or sure. are there always people who are just naturally two or three standard deviations above? And, and how much of that is, yeah, how much of that is applied? Like, is Michael Phelps a great swimmer because he practiced all the time? Or is it just, he's, you know, he, he's always intrinsically been right. great at, uh, he has the, the body that a swimmer should have to be able to excel. Probably a combination right. of the two. So, but, but we should catalog all greatness in, in that sense. But I guess that's the question is, is, do you subscribe to the idea that greatness means essentially what, what would statistically be thought of as an outlier? That most things are mediocre, but there are, you know, there's two and a half or two standard deviations above the mean and anything that is in that top two and a half percent like that's greatness i mean that's yeah you you could make that argument i'm not necessarily making that argument but i do sometimes think about the world and i think the world thinks about itself that way i think i think we're so in awe of of numbers and and activities i i i used to talk to friends of mine when i'd power lift and you know what is the difference between a 450 pound person lifting a thousand pounds and a 200 pound person lifting 500 pounds by ratio those are the same you know or or in in fact the the smaller number may be more impressive but in terms of a greatness standard deviation scale someone picking up half of a ton you know is much more impressive upon viewing it so, so there again, you have the subjective greatness, which is visually, I see this thing, which is great. And I think it's amazing. Uh, but objectively, there are also facets of our own greatness that, that may be just as valuable, but not quite as awe-inspiring, what have you, as the more visual. So it, it, right. again, it goes back to that really interesting question of, uh, do, do we all have a form of greatness from that Aristotelian component? Or do we only see greatness from these societal standard deviations of, you know, that person can really dunk that basketball or, or those kinds of things. Let me funnel that into another discussion you and I had earlier. Sure. People talk about this it factor. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about this, uh, the Baker Mayfield, who was drafted by the Cleveland Browns in the NFL. People said, well, he's too short. Uh, He can't see over the offensive line. He's never played in a pro-style offense, da-da-da-da-da. However, he has an it factor, and he was drafted number one because he has it, which is a set of intangibles that imply greatness. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and I'm interested in this from your perspective of, you know, having played a lot of sports, I, I know who those people are who have those intangibles. It's something where when you're around sports, you can kind of tell they're, they're naturally more athletic. They're naturally more in tune with uh, the, the event in general. They can pick up things quicker, um, whether, you know, plays or they can read things from how a pitcher releases the ball. Anyway, there's, there's intangibles that I think could be made objective, but we just call them it factors. What do you see that being in your experience when it comes to greatness? What are those it factors in your experience uh, when it comes to greatness? I think one of the most important things, and I think this is true all through life, is confidence. Okay. I think that a confident, mediocre person will often put out better product than a truly great person who's feeling very insecure. Okay. And I, I think that's uh, part of a lot of what's going on in our society is we advantage a lot of very confident, mediocre people uh, who think that they're great. And um, and we keep down people who are naturally talented and don't give them a chance and, and sort of beat them down culturally and tell them that they're not good enough. Uh, so part of this pursuit of greatness is I want to try and open that up. And, and level that playing field and talk about people who, who might not be getting the center spotlight as being great. I, I, I think there is something to that. I think there is also a large area where those it factors are so completely subjective that they might not even be true. First of all, I mean, if the Cleveland Browns were great at picking first round draft pick quarterbacks, then you know, when they pick Colt McCoy a few years ago, they'd, you know, they'd now be better than they are. So let, let's take this with a grain of salt. Maybe, uh, maybe the Browns aren't so good at making draft picks and uh, other, other teams are. Um, fair. Fair, fair point. Fair point. Uh, but, you know, let's see how he does in the NFL. The proof's in the pudding. We'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, I, I keep going back and thinking about Moneyball, though. And okay. this, this idea that before sabermetrics and applied statistics, when uh, they started looking at things more objectively by measuring these these runs and these numbers, that a lot of what what coaches and scouts would look for were these it factors. And so you'd actually see rosters full of a lot of people who were were actually kind of mediocre, but the hitting coach would be like, "Oh, he's a he's a clutch hitter. Oh, he's you know he's great in the in the locker room and helps pump up everyone's spirit." But there's not actually anything to prove that. And part of what they they found looking at Moneyball is that there were a lot of really talented players who weren't getting the shot that they wanted. And part of that was based on inherent biases by coaches. Um, I, I think you have to ask yourself, you know, if if that has, uh, you know, a role in the the role of race in our society or of gender, uh, and and how much inherent bias that might bring into something. Where, um, again, I'm not trying to make a value statement. Oh, someone's racist. Someone's sexist. But you know, they might see an it factor where they have a good feeling about someone and there actually isn't any objective number that they can, there isn't any objective proof that they can put on it. Um, right. So after Moneyball, uh, they, you know, they found that that kind of washed some of these people out of the system and, uh, and that it's, it's better since then, uh, I mean, well, you could argue that. Um, well, so so but, I I don't know. But I, I, I think you're right, though, that there are some intangible. Well, I think that's really interesting because it goes back to what we first talked about, which is the objective versus subjective nature of greatness. Mm -hmm. Your point is very sound in that it may be something important to take subjective natures of greatness and try to make them tangible. So we're making sure that anyone with greatness can be included. 
mm-hmm. right? Because there is every subjective component by nature is is likely to be flawed because of our sub of any kind of bias or subjective nature in and of itself. Right. Um, I mean, you and I talk about that a lot growing up in Utah. Uh, the, the the demographics are just very different. Mm-hmm. So you have expectations subconsciously of um, you know what what kind of people you're going to meet and. Uh, what what kind of what they're going to look like and what hair color because that's just all that you ever grew up with like in Provo right. for instance right. so you're right there are inherent biases in um, what your expectations are which definitely I mean there are such a wide variety of people who are intelligent and, and greatness in art and culture uh, I just went to a symphony at the college uh, Westminster uh, down the street and. It was amazing to see the diversity in the orchestra and how refreshing it was to be in Utah and see such a wide variety of, you know, male, female, uh, Asian American, uh, uh, Hispanic, Latino. Mm-hmm. I mean, just uh, such a wide variety of people who were all so excellent at, at playing an instrument. Yeah, I think uh, if you so- looked at the the orchestra at BYU, it would probably not be that way. Uh, yeah, I'm and saying, I, I, I'm saying that as a BYU alum, like that's yeah. very clear. Yeah, but I, I, I think the only reason I brought that up is because, to your point of inherent bias, right. uh, I think we, we do, we, we gloss over some of those subconscious variables and say, well, greatness subjectively is what I'm used to greatness being, uh, and we never look outside of our, our spectrum, right, uh, to really challenge ourselves and say what greatness is. Uh, but that, that is an interesting. Uh, I don't know that a lot of people would would say that the it factor would necessarily be an inherent bias, which I think is interesting because I'm sure it is. Um, people don't often say their feelings are based around uh, variables which would be perceived to be negative. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think when you bring in outside opinions, like if I were to ask you about certain sporting activities and say, you know, what do you think about this? You would probably be very clear on going, that seems like it's pretty shady. You should probably call that into question. Mm-hmm. And I would say that's really interesting because most sports people would not have perceived that. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So that's, and, that's and, a very good point. But but I mean, I bring all sorts of inherent biases to, you know, the work that I do, too. Like I knew a year and a half ago that Scott Pruitt was a bad dude. And I, I knew that based on just a very little amount of evidence. But I I'm like, this guy has. You know, we don't know how corrupt he is, but we do know, like, there are a couple of things that point out, like, he's not very ethically sound and he should not be a cabinet secretary. And and that was a lot of that based on a gut feeling, gut feelings that were later proven to be true based on, you know, by different Freedom of Information Act requests and things like that that we got and found like all of this information out about Pruitt and now it's in you know the Washington Post so uh you know it, uh again not to toot my my own horn that's not me that's a giant team I'm a part of that that did all that work but part of that was based on our subjective feelings about Pruitt and there was some validity to that so I don't want to say, oh, just because you can't put a number on it doesn't mean that it can't be there. Um, and there's stuff like like showmanship. Uh, you know, I I remember talking with, with some of our mutual friends in, in high school uh, when we'd talk about like, oh, who are the great drummers and things like that. And one of our one of our friends, JR, is like, oh well I always want to put in the guy from Def Leopard because he's only got one arm (laughs) and because like, Oh, well who else has a one arm drummer? Like that's, you know, I want to put that in there because it's just so much more interesting to watch him. Uh, And there's a certain element of showmanship there. That is sort of an intangible, uh, you know, uh, you know, and, and that's part of what makes him great at, at least to him. So like, can you argue with that or not? I don't know, but, uh, you know, I, I think that there's a part of this that, that is about a quantification problem that we, we want to quantify things 
that are sometimes not quantifiable and should we and and I don't know I, I hope that we that we go into that in in greater detail let's let's break that down a little bit so setting up uh, a, a construct of greatness for people to weigh in on setting up a venue where people can have positive discussions about greatness right is the hope that people will come to the table and say here's my experience with greatness um, which is why I think I can weigh in on topic A, topic B, topic C mm-hmm. or is it a premise to go uh, I, I have tangible evidence that so and so is great uh, and I, you know, we'll get into this for instance when we talk about halls of fame mm-hmm. um, because if you look at how people statistically view for instance the baseball hall of fame um, statistics change every year so right. even the quantifiable uh, is is based on how the game is played or how the society is at the time. Right. So given what you've mentioned, what do you hope people come to the table with in terms of an overall perception or discussion of greatness um, to, to feel comfortable with with this this venue per se? I this I'm going to come back to uh, unquantifiable factors. I hope people come with passion and with open-mindedness because again i i mean kind of my original point that the the big it factor is uh confidence i think that something that you are passionate about that you really care about i want to hear about that what is it about my little pony friendship is magic that makes you love it that much i don't get it I really don't get it, but I'll listen to you and you don't have to convince me with numbers. I want to hear your passion. I want to hear what is it that makes this great for you and why should I pay attention? Why should anybody pay attention? But the other side of that is let's be open-minded. I have had bad experience with bronies, juggalos, well, Star Wars and Star Trek fans too, but I'm still a Star Wars and a Star Trek fan. Uh, but that doesn't mean that I'm I'm going to dismiss My Little Pony or Insane Clown Posse just because I've had bad experiences with with bronies and juggalos. So I but I want to hear you. I want to I want to hear why it is that you love something. Hopefully we can all learn from one another. Like I'm passionate about weird stuff. Who's my favorite band, JB? Well, it used to be The Cure. Well, yeah, but. I think now, through the years, it's it's still been towed the wet sprocket. Oh, true. That's oh, true. That just I I just love those guys. We love towed the wet sprocket. That is no true. one, no one. Lo- I mean, not no one loves them as much as I do, but they are the singular most unique band that I love the most. And I could go on and on and on and on about why I love them so much. Right. And I, I hope people will would be interested in listening to that if. If I'm passionate about it and if someone comes to me and they're like, man, you know, the, the, the Alan Parsons project is really where it's at for me. I'm like, okay, tell, tell me why, what, what is it about this prog rock band that I know very little about? Yeah. Tell tell me what it is. I think there's a, I think there's a midline that's interesting to me. Um, There are a lot of people I know who have very different musical tastes than me subjectively they think those bands are great when i listen to them there's no subjective criteria or objective criteria that makes me think they're a great band Mm -hmm. right i completely hear what you're saying and i think that's i think people's passion and about what makes them great is really really important equally though i think people have to be very honest with themselves and say hey i may just like a band that's really terrible and no one else really likes Right. Do, you and do I, you have you and a I band like about, that? Well, you and I talk about this all the time. I secretly, well, I guess it's not a secret. I really like the album Bleach by Nirvana. Yeah. I think it's just a cheesy, silly, straightforward album, right? Not a very talented album, per se, right? But if you were to bring that up as to say this is in the pantheon of, uh, you know, freshman albums i would say you're going to need to bring a lot more facts to this than what you're bringing me yeah you know 
I, I appreciate that people come to the table and say, I, I, this was the first tape I had on my Walkman. Uh, it's really important to me as an album. It got me through some tough times. That's, that's great. I mean, mm-hmm. that is great to an individual. And I think those are the kinds of stories that we want to hear. Um, but I think people also have to be prepared to go, have you heard the solos on that album? Or have you heard the singing on that album? Mm-hmm. Not sure it would be great in the overall objective pantheon of freshman album, though it may be your greatest album. Right. right. I, I've got a great experience like that. My my older brother, uh, Matt, who you know, um, he, he was talking about uh, the the Beatles. Um, what were those called? They're the Beatles anthology albums that came out. Oh, okay. The yeah. first one was, you know, mostly it was mostly like covers of old other songs that they'd uh, that they'd covered and things like that. And they have on there, um, it's also on Beatles for Sale, but uh, a cover of Mr. Moonlight. Mm-hmm. And uh, Matt kept, was like, no, this is a great song. I'm like, and me and his roommate at the time, we were both like, no, this song is lame. This is mm-hmm. like, why do you like this song? I don't, I don't get it. And he's like, no, listen to this. He cranks the radio all the way up and John Lennon is just screaming, Mr. That right there. That's why I love this. And the rest of the, and I'm like, okay, I get it. I get why you love that like opening thing. I I still don't like that song. Yeah, (laughs) I I will always skip, but I I get why you like it. But I think that's a cautionary tale to greatness in general. And again, it's not something that, that we will necessarily hit on in our interactions with, you know, you all as the listener, but um, there are a lot of things in life where people are grasping onto something they consider great without considering what that means, mm-hmm. whether it's political figures, whether it's, uh, you know, legislation, you know, religious or sociocultural components. Um, I think I think greatness can fall into the same category where we don't question it. Uh, we just accept it. Um and I think that's that's the other thing I want to make sure we have candid discussions about with everyone is I, I'm with you. I'm all for people thinking things are great. Uh, but when it's it's an arena that there may be some difficulty with just accepting it on face value, I always think we should just question things. You know, that's part of why critical thinking is going to be so important in in what we do in the future, uh, because right. you can like something as long as you wait it through what that means now again art um music movies things like that i i don't know that the impetus is there i don't know that you have to sit down and go you know is black flag better than the sex pistols is better than the clash and does mm-hmm. that change who i am fundamentally as a person that may just be a fun conversation to have but when it comes to um do we pass a bill that tells a person what to do with their body um, without having those people weigh in, do we remove, right. um, you know, this is a great bill. Is it, did you read it? Like, did you, what do you react to the greatness of that? Mm-hmm. You know? And, and I think that's where you and I have been talking about these intangibles and these it factors and subjective versus objective and voluntary versus involuntary. There's a lot of different ways people get to greatness. I just think always have to be careful that, we we harness greatness with a critical eye and say equally important to us determining if what's great subjectively is also great um, as it pertains to other people or humanity, but also to value the greatness that everybody has inherently that we don't recognize. Like the person who doesn't commit a misdemeanor or felony their whole life, right? Right. Or the person who never steals from the neighbor or, or society their whole life, or the person who does give... 10, 20% of their income to charity every year. You know, those are also pieces of greatness we should celebrate. And the fact you and I don't like 50% of the bands, but hey, they got enough gumption to try and play the instrument. They got an album deal. They're on the road. Kudos to them, right? Yeah. You know, there's there's an example of this. Like, I don't like anything about Toby Keith. I can't, like, there's nothing about that. If you go to his restaurant, he has very, oh, really? very good nachos. In fact, they're called those damn nachos, and they are oh. amazing. So, well, 
Okay, Again. well, I, I may eat my words literally when I say <laughs> Toby Keith. Only my my Keith only objective is. Toby Keith comment. <laughs> but, but I was about to say, like, but I get why people like Toby Keith. Mm-hmm. And, and even though that's not my particular cup of tea, and I'm not going to tell people, oh, you're a you're a dumb redneck because you like red solo cup or whatever. I'm like, that that is actually a really great song. I just don't like it. It's just not for me. Uh, yeah. But, you know, you, you asked a really interesting question about this since we're talking about art of whether we should value more, uh, you know, the, the pursuit of pure beauty or greatness, like art for art's sake or art for personal gain. And and one of the things that I, you know, we were talking about quantifying things. One thing, one trap I don't want to get into is just because something is quantifiable doesn't mean that it's important. Mm-hmm. The, how much, never confuse how much money a movie made at the box office with how good it is. Right. Um, that can be a sign of greatness can be a sign of popularity but it doesn't exactly make it great and and the same with album sales or the stock value of a company or or something like that um but you know pure pure greatness art for art's sake what like what do you think about that well i think that's that's the the intrinsic interesting thing about greatness is are we great because we do something we're passionate about or are we great because we do things that benefit us financially or socially or, or those kinds of things. I don't know that that's necessarily judgment because there's plenty of things I do for financial gain uh, that I enjoy and that I think I'm pretty good at regardless of whether or not I'm using that to do something else I want to do intrinsically. Right. But I, I think that that raises a very interesting question. Uh, do we value art or quality or greatness more when someone just does it because they love it versus someone who does it, you know, all the time? I mean, you hear stories all the time of bands who quit their day job because they just love music, you know, mm-hmm. and they struggle and they struggle and they finally make it. Uh, that's that would be more of an inherent you know, maybe an intrinsic story rather than someone who just goes, uh, you know, I just, I just did this because I made a lot of money doing other things and I can make a lot of money doing this. And, you know, that's great. Um, I think both components still have a greatness to it. You still have to be great at something to be able to, um, be intrinsically good at it or to make money from it. I think that, that makes sense. Right. But I don't, I don't necessarily know, that either one of them are more and less valuable societally. Um, I know I haven't really weighed in on it personally. I, uh, if I felt that somebody made an album just because they they felt it in their bones versus they knew they were going to get paid, um, I don't know that it would necessarily change the value of the album. No, that's true. Um, I'm I'm trying to think of a song or of a yeah an album or a song that is like a great artistic expression that was never like ever really got popular and maybe uh, like maybe something from a, a a hugely popular band where the fans just were like, what, what is that? We don't, we don't get it. We don't embrace it, but it's actually like really great. Do you remember yeah. when you and I went to the Verve pipe concert? Yes. Saltaire. <laughs> yes. And I remember they had been playing the hell out of the freshman all summer. It was just mm-hmm. the point where people were just tired of it. And I remember he got up there and I think he just did it basically with the acoustic and they played it and everybody sang along. And I remember at the end he was, he was crying because he said, I never thought I'd write a song that would move so many people to singing along um, and, and giving me such, such positive feedback about it. You know, it was such a difficult song. I never thought it would matter basically. Mm -hmm. Um, he has gone on to write many good songs that a lot of people haven't heard probably, but, um, I, I, I remember thinking how much, how much more meaningful that song became. Like I was immediately no longer sick of it when I heard Mm -hmm. it because I thought this is something that someone wrote 
because it mattered, right? Um, right. Do I value that song more as a great song? No. Um, I mean, it's still a very basic rock song. Um, but yeah. Straightforward. I, I don't think anyone would look at it and put it in, a, in a, the echelon of fantastic chord progression rock songs, but... It is. That's interesting. where you're wrong, buddy. I love that song. I know much. you do, but I just okay. think it's interesting that because it had an intrinsic component. No, definitely. Yeah, it it, it meant more. Uh, but I think that goes back to your point of if you can prove to me passionately that what you what you feel about something is great or that you've done something great, there's there's a there's probably a greater likelihood that I don't know that people will receive it mm-hmm. as great or not. I don't know. I'm just happy that a computer didn't write it. That's <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's where what's, we're getting. What's your recollection of that concert? I mean, because I mean that had a bunch of our favorite bands at the time, um, right? And I just remember that being where everybody just kind of stopped and was really quiet and just kind of let that moment happen. It was very interesting. I mean, I I loved that. I loved that concert. I loved. Uh, I think my favorite moment though was they did an encore where. It was it was Abramore, Tonic, and and Verve Pipe. I was so into Tonic at that time. I think I think that's my favorite album, nineteen ninety seven, like Tonic Lemon Parade. Even though it came out in ninety six, fair enough, uh, fair enough. Yeah, uh, that ended up being like the soundtrack for my nineteen ninety seven. So, um, that was that was huge, and they came out as an encore, and all of them did. Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds together, which blew my mind as a huge Beatles fan. And I know you're not, so that probably didn't have the same uh, uh, the same impact on you. But I was just like, oh, my gosh, this is so great. This is all of my favorite things all together. It was like the Avengers Infinity War of music summer of 1997 for me. So what would you think was the more great moment of that concert uh i really i think probably the more great moment was um tonic set just not just uh but but between those two between freshman and uh and lucy in the sky with diamonds uh, the uh definitely verve pipe fresh just because it was more personal it was more important i think the Beatles encore was something that was like, yes, it's great. We're all doing it together. That's cool. But uh, the, that Verve Pipe moment was very personal. And I think that I think that brings a lot. Maybe that is one of those intangibles. Like, you know, the passion, the connection. I think there's something to that. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. I would not have guessed that would have been your answer, which is why I asked it. Yeah, yeah I would have... I would have thought, like, if, if Toad the Wet Sprocket came out and said, let me tell you the story of crowing, right? And the mm-hmm. audience was, was misty-eyed. And then, you know, two songs later, he came out and he said, and now we're going to do a Beatles medley. And they played all three of your favorite Beatles songs. If I had asked you 20 years from now, you would have said, Toad played a Beatles medley. It was like heaven on earth. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, and that probably would yeah, be true. But it's just interesting that it, each of those different contexts, um, you know, made it such a different thing. So I think I think that's really amazing. So I want to I want to wrap this up with with something that I hope will be a recurring feature uh, where we just talk about let's celebrate something that is great okay. this week. So this is this week in greatness something that you're enjoying, something that means a lot to you, something that you think is great. Uh, I had talked to you about doing Avengers Infinity War for mine because that's the only thing that that we talked about. I'm going to change mine up for this week, though. I'm calling an audible because of something that you that you brought up, you know, talking about, you know, your, your job and, and whether that's, you know, the thing that you're good at versus something you're passionate about. I have been really enjoying this show on HBO called Barry. Have you been watching Barry? Do you know anything about this? Is that the one with Paul, Paul Uh, Bill Hader? Yeah. Bill Bill Hader from SNL. Don't kill me. Yeah. 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 Uh, He's a hit man who goes out to LA to do a hit. The guy he's supposed to kill is in an acting class and he falls in to this acting class and decides 
this thing being a hitman, even though it's the only thing I'm really great at, I care a ton about acting and I want to be an actor now. The, the basic idea of the show is what if the thing that you're great at is slowly killing you because huh. it is just soul crushing in how awful it is. And the thing that you love, you are terrible at. Hmm. <laughs> and it's a, it's a really interesting sort of existential midlife crisis with a great supporting cast of, of a bunch of great people. Uh, the acting coach is the Fonz himself, Henry Winkler. Oh, nice. And he's, okay. he's great. Uh, and it's got, why can't I remember his name? Jimmy James, Stephen Root. Oh, uh, nice. Okay. Yeah, Stephen Root is uh, the the go-between uh, for, for Barry the hitman. He's the one who sets up all of his hits. And so he has to like come in and give him a pep talk about why he's going to go uh, kill this group of Bolivians or, or whomever. So uh, that's my recommendation, Barry on HBO. Um, they're almost done with the season. So it's a good time to, to catch up now. I think they're, they've got like seven, eight episodes, and I think they're only going to do like 10 or 11. Oh, wow. so, so so check it out. It's only a half hour. Bill Hader and one of the guys who made Silicon Valley. Not as funny as you might think it is, but but very touching. Well, it's better like than it. if his brother Paul was in it. So uh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, Paul, ha- Paul Hader, not quite as interesting as Bill Hader. Yeah. Uh, mine would be uh, this this group out of New York called Hopeful Cases. Uh, it's a it's a guy who got his BFA in music, and what he does is basically he goes to the subways and he'll just he'll busk for four or five days a week. He plays anywhere up to five hours a day, uh, just plays his guitar and sings. And and what he does is he leaves his case open for people to donate money, and he puts a sign next to it that says, "Hey, if you're homeless, uh, please come and take what you need." Uh, they're trying to do other things like raise money for uh, having things available in the guitar cases or being able to give them metro cards and socks and things. Um, if you're a performer you and you're in the New York area, you can sign up on their website, go play for a little while. Um, but that's that's one of those things that I think is is really neat that, again, people who have talent, who do who, who uh, may be great at something uh, when they when they do it to help their fellow man or humanity, uh, I just think that's a really neat thing. So it's called Hopeful Cases. Paul Hader is not affiliated with it. You don't have, to, yeah, you don't have to worry about Paul him Hader. showing up. Um, but I, I, I will say his name wrong. But I think it's William Boyajian. Um, you can check it out on I, they, on their website, uh, which is hopefulcases.org. Uh, but that is that is my great thing for the week, and and I'm looking forward to finding some more great things that we can talk about next week. That's awesome. I'm going to put a link to that website in the show notes. So if you come to our website at thehallofgreatness.com, uh, that's where you can subscribe to the podcast. Uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe we'll put up links to where you can find us on social media if we want to. Um, but uh, that's where you download the podcast, subscribe. Uh, we'll get this up on iTunes fairly soon. And uh, you'll be able to get it there or wherever uh, fine podcasts are sold uh, next week. Uh, or I, I don't know exact week might be uh, an interesting thing. Next episode, depending on when we put this out, I want to talk about live music. We already kind of veered into that this week um, about what makes shows great, what also makes them terrible. And we're going to make fun of one of my favorite bands who is a terrible live band, the Counting Crows. <laughs> oh, gave away. We gave away this, the, the secret sauce, but yes, we, we will definitely delve into that. I'm sure all of you have lots of examples of, of bands you've seen live and have been shocked, horrified, and disappointed. Hooray. Or <laughs> bands that you've seen and, and have thought that they were absolutely amazing and, and can't wait to, to see them again. Um, yeah. But, looking looking forward to that and um we'll, we'll start having more content up on hall of greatness as well start looking for blog posts and, and things like that and as always weigh in uh, let us know your thoughts yeah uh until then uh i'm andy i'm jb and this could have been meanwhile shut this off shut these all up I'm warning you, turning off these machines would be extremely hazardous. I'll tell you what's hazardous. You're facing federal prosecution for at least a half a dozen environmental violations. Now, either you shut off these beams or we shut them up for you. All we have to decide.
time to We shut that thing down and we are not going to be held responsible for whatever happens. No, we won't be. Shut it off. Hate is always foolish. Love is always wise. Always try to be nice and never fail to be kind. Don't shut it off. I'm warning you. I, I've never seen anything like this before. I don't know. I'm not interested in your opinion. Just shut it off. Could be worse. And to make a long story short, too late. It's worse. Cut it off.